You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Hello, this is your host, Abraham. And this is Shane. So welcome to our podcast called Why We Do What We Do. Your favorite consumable psychology podcast. And uh, talking about consumable again, (laughs) (laughs) which we just did relatively recently in another episode. Hey, Shane, do you know who said, quote, the doctor of the future will give no medicine, but will interest his patients in the care of the human frame, diet, and in the cause and prevention of disease? I don't know. That sounds very wordy, though. It is a little bit wordy. That's fair. That was actually said, apparently, maybe dubiously, but apparently by Thomas Edison. Oh, that's interesting. Was he, did he specialize in that area? Not that I'm aware of, but you know. <laughs> As I understand it back then, a lot of scientists from different fields made a lot of different claims. So, but I think that's, that's, uh, I respect that one. Yeah, that's fair. How about one should eat to live, not live to eat? I have no idea who would say that. Again, potentially apocryphal, but attributed to Benjamin Franklin. So the founding fathers were nutritionists? Yeah, man. (laughs) I'm into it. I support that. They would be so sad right now looking at all the McDonald's around here. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Maybe he'd be excited about it. Who knows? I have the recollection of him not being a particularly thin or fit man. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know that he really cared much about his own health, from what I understand. Yeah. And then this is a pretty popular one that you'll see around a lot, which is let food be thy medicine. Thy medicine shall be thy food. Ooh, that is, uh, would that be Hippocrates? Yes. Or hypocrites. (laughs) (laughs) If we're using Bill and Ted style. Whoa. (laughs) Pronunciation. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Cans. It's just cans. (laughs) All right. So, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Movie references. Obviously, there is a long history of choosing specific foods for specific effects, and there is some logic to this, of course. So plants that have certain chemical profiles actually make them drugs. So, for example, there is the coca plant, known for producing cocaine. 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 There is, of course, marijuana, which has very specific effects when consumed. So, I mean, there are drugs that come from plants and that consuming them in certain doses has certain effects. And so it's not really a big stretch to then understand that there are other foods that one might eat that will have specific effects on our body, including simply for our health and general well-being, because surprise, surprise, we need food to live. Oh yeah, shockingly. So today we are going to talk about food to specifically nourish your brain or what people describe as brain food. So I had a, uh, a music teacher when I was in school that would always talk about eating smart food popcorn <laughs> because it would make you smarter. And I realized that it was just a really long dad joke that carried over. And when I got older, I was like, wait a second. I had a moment where I was like, that's not, that's not accurate. <laughs> I thought maybe that that was just extremely good marketing. That was working way too well <laughs> yeah. on that particular teacher. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Cop China, wherever you are, I hope that you are enjoying your popcorn <laughs> it says smart right on the package i mean it's easy <laughs> what? either it was a really great dad joke or that person should not have been a teacher <laughs> and actually part of what we're going to be talking about is the marketing of this thing 
Now, as we, as you said, you said the word brain food. There are certain cultures that use brains as food. Usually, very commonly, they'll eat goat brains, cattle brains, lamb brains, and in some cultures, gorilla brains. But today, we're actually just talking about regular foods that you might eat, specifically with the intention of fostering strong brain functioning in yourself, but not actually talking about eating brains today. Although this did actually have me thinking about prions and brain disease. And so I have added to our list of upcoming topics like mad cow disease and stuff like that. Oh, that's exciting. I feel like every time we research a topic, we get 10 new topics. At least. (laughs) It's so great. So many. (laughs) There's just this tremendously gigantic list that's ever growing. And then people will request topics, which is always very flattering. And I love it when they do. And so those get added to the list. And yeah, so it's a big list. So apparently there's a podcast called Why We Eat What We Eat. Yeah, I feel like we should get royalties from that or something. We need to call our uh, <laughs> our lawyers. Yeah, or just maybe coordinate with them. <laughs> like, hey, we're the Why We X, Why What We X <laughs> group of things. I wonder how many Why We X's there are. We need, to, we need to research that more. I feel like there's probably a lot, although I did just have the moment where I was hearing us say Why We X, What We X and thinking X-Men would be like an X-Men specific podcast. Or X-Force. I don't know. (laughs) I'm into it. So anyway, as I mentioned, today we'll be talking about what the concept of brain food is, where that concept comes from, and the science behind the idea of brain food and that marketing angle a little bit. All right. So let's do this. As always, we try to start with a definition, a little bit of background. And I know this sounds dumb. But we, when we actually start researching food, it's probably good to define what food actually is. The research can lead you down some wacky trails and pretty much describe food in various ways, you know, to cover our bases, to make sure that we know exactly what we're talking about so that you all feel comfortable with this. Food is any substance that an organism consumes that provides nutritional support. Yeah. And obviously the idea that food has medicinal properties is both very old and also technically correct. For example, our brains consume an enormous enormous amount of calories. About 20% of the calories that we eat go directly to our brain and its functioning. And then, of course, on the reverse side of that, depriving our bodies of specific nutrients can lead to a lot of health problems such as scurvy. And then if you're missing important nutrients for long enough, of course, that can lead to death. So it's not incorrect to approach this understanding that food has these important properties for our bodies. Yeah. In recent years, many people have actually made a mint selling books that explain what foods to eat to empower your brain. Of course, what foods to avoid to prevent food-induced brain damage. And then they're copyrighted recipes for making the best brain-healthy foods. So you'll see that a lot, those patented diets and whatnot as well. Right. Essentially, claims that they'll often make are that you should eat things such as green leafy vegetables, fatty fish, berries, tea, and coffee, and walnuts. Alternatively, I saw some that recommended avoiding grains, but to consume olive oil, red meats, and fish. I saw another one that specified avoiding added sugar, but to eat dark chocolate, broccoli, and eggs. Another one recommended oily fish, dark chocolate, again, berries, again, nuts and seeds, avocados, coffee, whole grains, which is not consistent with a previous one, peanuts, eggs, kale, and soy. So basically, there there was just a lot of things. And there's some amount of disagreement in there, but there is also a lot of overlap. Most of the ones that I found did agree on generally avoiding a lot of processed food. So avoiding refined sugars, a lot of processed grains, a lot of highly processed junk food, that kind of thing. Man, I do not like those diets. (laughs) say no say no you know it's interesting because um 
you know, I have, I mean, we have restricted diets just in general, and it's interesting to see kind of what everybody's take on, like what you should and shouldn't eat and how to manage that. There's a, there's a ton of information on this. There are a lot of opinions on this. There is a lot of information on this and a lot of misinformation on this too. Yeah. So essentially when we, when we talk about these food, we are also asking the question, or what are these foods supposed to do? Of course, it's not the food itself, but the nutrients they contain. So vitamin K, lutein, folate, and beta carotene are all supposed to prevent cognitive decline. Right. And then they claim that omega-3 fatty acids are believed to reduce a protein that is commonly found in the brains of people that have Alzheimer's disease. There are these things that are in the berries called flavonoids, which are proposed to improve memory. I saw one that said that caffeine is thought to improve concentration and memory. Alpha-linic acid, usually just abbreviated as ALA, is believed to reduce blood pressure and protect arteries. I'm not sure why that one was included as much on brain health, except that our brains do need blood and need a consistent source of it. So maybe that's why. Yeah, it makes sense. And then people recommending antioxidants, which are compounds that reduce free radicals, which are believed to damage cells. And there are others. But that's a basic taste of some of the things that are claimed about some of the nutrients and what they do. And some of those things are completely accurate. Some of them are somewhat accurate. Some of them are completely wrong. And some of them are just a really oversimplified version of what this all takes. So, I mean, really, the point of this is not to talk about nutrition, which is an interesting subject for sure. Yeah. But the point is that I guess there isn't necessarily a point to be made inside of this with respect to their claims on those particular things, just to understand that health and nutrition are very complicated. They are affected by a wide range of factors, including your exercise, your genetics, your history, the cumulative effect of the things that you have done and eaten and exposure to certain chemicals, radiation, poisons, that sort of thing. So it's very, very complicated. And these things work in a very complex, interconnected tapestry of factors with respect to our health. So just one thing to keep in mind as we move forward talking about these things that like, yeah, those things are probably generally good, a lot of them, and it's complicated. Yeah, and I think if anybody's offering you a simple explanation for how this stuff works, they're probably trying to sell you something. Yeah, and if they're asking for money, they're definitely trying to sell you something. <laughs> I'm going to take that as my mantra from now on. Yeah. If they're asking for money, they're trying to sell you something. Yeah, exactly. It's a good t-shirt. Also... The term free radicals is one of my favorite terms I've heard in a long time. Yeah. Um, that's a great band name or, you know, maybe political group. I don't know. That, that would describe Shane and myself pretty well. We are both free radicals. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. Because we're free and we're radical. <laughs> yeah. Killed it by explaining it too much. Well, no, we're just going to keep making Bill and Ted references for the rest of the episode. <laughs> great. <laughs> Best three out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Something is afoot at the Circle K. So... I guess more importantly, too, and when we kind of get into this, is that the claims get a little more grandiose from here. So when we start talking about this and then we kind of made the comment about like, you know, this is complex. Part of it is that proper nutrition can improve or people will make claims, I should say, that proper nutrition can improve peak performance in every aspect of your life and that can halt Alzheimer's and halt disease and do these things. And those are really big, bold claims like it takes a lot of evidence. Those are extraordinary claims that require extraordinary evidence. Yeah, it just starts turning into things that are, they're not necessarily based on good scientific evidence, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But more importantly, it's that they're making these proposals about things like, oh, well, you know, you want to do well on this test, well, then have a salmon and drink a cup of tea. And it's like, I mean, 
it's probably not a bad idea, but it's not going to guarantee you <laughs> do well on some particular performance, right? And especially just that one time immediately before it happens, which we'll get into a little bit more. Yeah, we're going to dig into this. So let's take a uh, let's take a critical look at this. That sounds great. <laughs> we we kind of I was trying to not be too critical as we went through it and really just try and say what they say and the way that they say it. But it's hard to say it with a straight face. So obviously there is a lot of basic good advice in the claims that some of these proponents make for this brain food stuff, right? As, as I mentioned, for example, most of them recommend reducing high calorie, low nutrient foods, reducing consumption of highly processed junk food. Most of them recommend things like getting a good amount of sleep, avoiding high amounts of stress, getting a lot of exercise. So yeah, most experts will support the recommendation of good diet and exercise and and getting sleep and whatnot. The critical part of this comes in with the specific benefits that they propose and the claims that they make that are at best questionable and at worst, potentially dangerous. Right. And I think, and this goes back to the, and maybe when we say critical lens, we're probably talking more about a skeptical lens, right? The healthy skepticism, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is just trying to, to unpack what is being claimed, what the evidence is for that claim, what the logic is for that claim, and what we actually know with respect to how much can we really believe that, you know what I mean? So, yes, skepticism is the word. I just didn't want to turn anybody away from it. It really is this, like, let's, let's break it down into its core components, which is the skeptical lens, and that means being critical. And that also is exactly what we do. Yeah, so these extraordinary claims on these, ex- these specific benefits are questionable at best. And I think that brings us to one of the topics about brain food would be antioxidants, right? So we should talk about this because people do bring this up a lot. Blueberries being one of my favorite foods, and people say they're rich with antioxidants. Yeah. Now, for this episode, this is way beyond the scope of a single episode and probably could involve a, a whole lot of episodes or even an entire podcast (laughs) to dig into right so the concept itself is extremely complicated right and i mean we're just we're not a food podcast you know we we do psychology stuff and and this is one of those areas where we get to overlap those a bit because of where they are related it's just it it could be its own separate discussion there are uh, several food podcasts i listen to at least two of them that are really good. So that's just not what we're up to with this. So the idea behind antioxidants and just kind of our understanding of it is one, yes, oxidation is a process that occurs in our cells that can result in cell damage, especially when it occurs too much, leading to what is called oxidative stress. Right. And two, antioxidant foods can help protect against that oxidative stress. Three, our bodies have a process that deals with oxidation pretty effectively that can be expected to occur from a well-balanced diet. Four, some oxidation and pro-oxidative compounds are actually protective and helpful for our bodies. So we do actually want some amount of oxidation to occur because it is not only helpful, but can be protective in some instances. There you go. And five, and probably one of the key points that we like to try to make here, is that now it's demonstrated in many well-designed studies, tipping the balance too heavily in favor of antioxidants by taking supplements or extremely high quantities of foods containing antioxidants and taking supplements has not only failed to protect against cancer and heart disease, but has actually been linked to higher rates of mortality for patients with certain diseases. Yep. So this whole thing of taking a ton of antioxidants is not only probably not helpful, but actually seems to potentially be dangerous. So long story short, taking too many antioxidants, especially in the form of supplements, can be harmful. 
that's the take home for that little, I guess I was going to call it a rant, but it really is just, this comes up so often. It's just, there's a lot more to unpack there. Again, could be his own thing, just as a note of like, that's how antioxidants sort of work or what to know about them. Right. And just to kind of piggyback on the idea that antioxidants are a fairly complicated process in, in the topic in itself, the research isn't clear on, on many other things as well. So we have some research on it, right? We have some research to say that the harmful effects of too many antioxidants, but in general, when we talk about this food stuff, when we talk about brain food stuff, the research just isn't clear on some things. So we can't say that those claims are necessarily wrong, right? We can't say it's terrible or bad, but we can't say that it's right or correct either. Yeah. I mean, that, and that pertains to all of the claims that are being made with respect to this idea of brain food is just that some of the claims that they make, they could be right. We just don't know. And it is, I think, just as irresponsible to say you should definitely consume this because it will do X, Y, and Z for you as it is to say, like, you definitely shouldn't eat those foods because we just, we just don't know, you know, and it doesn't make sense to push and promote those things when we don't know. And even some of them will say things like it's known that this nutrient will do whatever for you, but there just isn't a lot of science to back it up. And then you have to ask the question, then how is it known? Because if we don't have good evidence that that's the case, then at best it's good. It is well speculated upon that that's the case, but there's, you know, it doesn't support it. Right. And, and that goes back to some of the, the current research that does exist, right? So the research that does exist often uses extremely uncommon eating patterns and nutrition profiles for the purposes of the study, right? So things that are usually kind of outliers or, or, or maybe not something that is commonly found in a general population. So those well-designed and well-controlled studies that don't rely on bizarre eating habits do not support the use of radical or extreme diets to promote better health, or at least don't support that they are more helpful than basic balanced nutrition. Right. And this goes to those. I mean, there's all kinds of examples of this. I, I specifically chose not to name any diets to throw any anybody under the bus here or inspire a lot of hateful emails and and mean reviews on iTunes or whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there are there is extreme diets that are often promoted and that they don't necessarily there's no reason to believe that those are better than a recommended diet. Now, one thing to also consider is that there is a recommended diet and then there is what most people actually eat and that those things don't necessarily overlap all that much. So, yes, pizza is an amazing food and we love it tremendously and it's great. And it's probably not going to fall in that that category of food that you should eat a lot very frequently. You know what I mean? Yeah. The recommendation is that you can eat pizza. It's not necessarily going to kill you, but it's not necessarily recommended either, right? They're not going to be like, oh, definitely get your slice of pizza in today to, <laughs> to, make, to promote your best, your best health. Not yet. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that's coming. It's just, you know, it, that's just not something that, that's going to be said necessarily. So anyway, so we'll, we'll move on to what we're talking about. I've been going on my little side tangents here. <laughs> for instance, although diet might be helpful for Alzheimer's. So this is going back to this idea here that there are these claims that are made that are often based on these studies, and these studies depict wildly unnatural diets for a short period of time, where it's like they'll feed mice nothing but beta-carotene for a week and then see what the health effects are or something. 
And then they're, they're like, oh, this is really bad for you because when we fed mice nothing but beta carotene, then they died of malnutrition. I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that beta carotene is bad. That just means that when that's the only thing that you eat. Anyway, going back to this idea that there are those types of things, although diet may be helpful for Alzheimer's, maybe, poor diet isn't actually even on the list of risk factors for Alzheimer's. In fact, about 65% of the causes or risk factors for Alzheimer's are completely out of your control. And that includes things like your family history and your aging. I mean, if you can control aging and family history, then man, publish that book and article because <laughs> that's incredible. You're going to blow people's minds. Yeah, that, that would definitely reverse our understanding of the universe. But... <laughs> As far as we know, those are things that we can't control, and that makes up the vast majority of factors that impact whether or not we have Alzheimer's. And even then, according to the Mayo Clinic, more research is needed before almost any of the claims can be verified about other risk factors for Alzheimer's, including things like exercise, sleep, social life, stress, mental health disorders, drug use, and things like that. It's just not very well understood. And so, although it is possible that diet is something that would improve, slow down, or otherwise help with Alzheimer's, it just isn't known. Like We just don't have the research to say that that's the case. And so it does make sense to eat healthy, and maybe that will help your mental health down the road. We just don't know what that means right now. If there is a specific food you should be eating, probably not. If there is a balance of foods you should be eating, probably, and what those things are. Right. So there's little research to support it, Right. In general, like that claim. Right. We just don't have enough information. And then longitudinal studies are just a whole nother thing. Like long-term effects of stuff are very difficult to capture, especially with all those variables. So it's almost like we don't have the extraordinary evidence. <laughs> it's almost like that. So Lisa Moscone claims that these diets are beneficial because, quote, the human brain has evolved over millions of years to absorb specific nutrients and to function on a relatively specific diet, end quote. Now, Skeptic Harriet Hall argues that this is likely untrue. In fact, humans have evolved to be able to survive on a wide variety of foods and diets. This makes a lot of logical sense because how many different kinds of diets that people have had to adopt over the entire span of human history, all the various climates, all the various geographies which humans have lived, we have kind of always had a really varied type of diet just based on all these other factors it is useful from an evolutionary perspective that for our species we were able to consume anything that was available and uh and that worked for us nutritionally so that there are those animals that have highly specific diets and can only eat certain things and they evolve in the niche in which that the environment supports their evolution but they can't exist outside of that. So if their habitat is destroyed, if that food source becomes scarce, then their population is greatly threatened. One of the reasons potentially that humans have been so successful is that we can adapt to various diets and a wide range of available nutrients. And that that has made it so that when our habitats are destroyed, when our food becomes scarce, then we can turn to other sources of nutrients and continue to thrive. So I think that Harriet Hall makes a really good case here that probably from an evolutionary perspective, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense to suggest that we can only process certain foods. You can look at many cultures that never have the food that is available inside of our culture and they do great, you know, and that just people, they do well in the environments in which they are, they have access to the things they need to do well, but that can be a lot of different things. Yeah. It's good to be an omnivore. <laughs> exactly. It has its benefits. 
So another common feature of the claims that brain food is helpful is how fast acting it is. And I think that this is probably part of the cultural influence too. Like we always are kind of on the go. We want things to happen. So that, but that's, that's just my own extrapolation of all this. Yeah. Give it to me now. Uh, yeah. That, that's the Veruca salt thing. The <laughs> give it to me now. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the band and I was like, do they have a song? about that oh <laughs> i meant from willy wonka i was like i thought they just sung about volcano girls <laughs> all right so many people have the experience that they eat a chocolate bar or sushi or something and all of a sudden experience this immediate boost in cognitive function and this is actually a placebo effect right yep even if these foods could produce the outcomes that are claimed for them, nutrition just doesn't work that quickly unless you are experiencing some type of sickness that comes from malnutrition and an extremely poor diet. It takes time and a regular routine after establishing a diet to improve health such that the benefits can be felt if they are noticed at all because of the gradual transition. Yeah, I mean, it, that's part of this in the sales pitch here is that, you know, eat this thing and you'll have that immediate effect. That was actually going back to the example I gave of like have salmon in a cup of tea before you take this test it just doesn't work that quickly now i mean there are certain things that are fast acting and again that's part of why they're able to sell this misconception because we know about things like if you drink for some people for example drinking coffee can have relatively quick and sort of long lasting ish effects you know it can last a few hours for them i'm not one of those people but for some people there's and then there are certain drugs for example that they can kick in pretty immediately and when those drugs are derived from plants and foods that you could actually just consume then again if you consume them you're likely to experience relatively quickly stuff is absorbed in our stomach and processed in a relatively quick way alcohol is another good example you consume alcohol you can start feeling the effects of it within 30 minutes so a lot it does depend on the way it's consumed and Eating it orally means it has to go into your digestive system and is broken down and absorbed at different points in that system. So that's one thing. But even then, like those sort of basic nutrients, things that are just like, these are things that are going to improve your health in the long run. I mean, that takes time. Like you've got a lot of distribution and cell repair and stuff like that that's going to happen. If you have scurvy and you eat one orange, it's probably not going to fix that problem. <laughs> yeah, definitely need to have a diet change going on there. <laughs> you need you need more citrus. So anyway, as we were talking about supplements, and we have multiple times, let's just go ahead and get this out of the way now. Unless you are specifically deficient in a particular nutrient, there is little to no good evidence that supplements are doing any good for you. For one thing, too much of a good thing is not a better thing and is often a bad thing. For another, our bodies generally just excrete excess nutrition as waste. So when you get those like 3,000 times the daily recommended amount of vitamin whatever pills, that's really nothing more than expensive future urine and <laughs> or other forms of waste that we have, you know? It's just, unless we don't have that nutrient, then you don't necessarily need to get it from a supplement. You aren't going to, like we kind of have a threshold on how much our body can process an amount of that nutrient. And our liver and our kidneys and stuff, they're really good at filtering out stuff that is unnecessary that we don't need. And it just, it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. Anyway, uh, we get a, all the nutrients that we need from the food that we eat in a well-balanced diet. So really you should only be taking supplements if your licensed medical doctor has recommended that you take them or has specifically prescribed them. Or if you know, for instance, that you are just not getting enough of a particular vitamin and 
I think that you had mentioned, Shane, before we started recording, that there seems to be some research to suggest that you don't actually even get any of the omegas from some of those fish oil pills, right? Yeah, I I read something somewhere, or I want to say I contacted a study, and again, I can't speak to the rigor of the study, but uh, it was my understanding that the the delivery system, like if you have the gel caps, or if you're taking just like straight up fish oil, it's not absorbed the same way as like actually eating fatty fish. So so you're not even getting really the benefits that you would get from fish oil pills that you would from just actually eating the fish, if that's a benefit that you're looking for. Yeah, so that one... As I mentioned, we, we're not actually setting a specific study here. That's just something that that we've heard. So, yeah, I, I guess that one you can take with a grain of skepticism, if you will. But I think that goes back to the amount of information that's out there when you start really digging into this, right? Ooh, very good point. The amount of opinions that are out there is like, that's I heard that one time and that stuck with me. So who knows the rigor of that? And, and again, I would need to research it more. I'm not the expert, but that actually does bring up a really good point that and we're going to get into this in a moment, but with the marketing of this, they know that you can hear something one time and have it stick with you. So they specifically try and design their marketing so that if you hear it one time, it is more likely to stick with you. They're going to find all the different ways that they can sort of make it stick in your mind and in your memory, or that it's likely to come up for you again. And so they're going to try and attach it to specific standout phrases, things that rhyme, things that are musical, things that are short and easy to remember, or have an association with something that's extremely common. And so that way it it just sort of, once you become aware of it, then you notice it a bit more. That's just marketing. And that's part of what they're going to do with some of these industries. When, they're, when they have something to sell you, they will find a way to sell it to you as efficiently as possible. So... <laughs> this thinking of the supplement industry and how they would market, I would imagine that describing their supplements as future urine is probably not effective, right? <laughs> and nothing but, and nothing but future urine. That's all it is. And nothing but, nothing but future. Yeah. Do you want 3,000 times your daily limit? Do you want to pee? A, A lot. lot. <laughs> that actually brings us to. The issue of why people believe these brain foods work and why marketing works the way it does. So essentially what ends up happening is, and when we really get into the idea of marketing, we should probably do an entire episode on just how marketing works too, like all, yeah. the, all the mechanisms with that. I agree. But when we talk about it, there's kind of a bait and switch. And what they do is they essentially give you logical sounding advice, free samples. They also probably give you some really good advice, like you mentioned before, like, hey, do low stress. Like, here's how you, like, you know, avoid stress, get some sleep, da 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 and here's how this works. And then, at the last minute, they ask for copious amounts of money in the form of purchasing their convenient problem-solving product. I've got one in particular that I have seen a lot on Instagram that I'm like, this is one of them. Yep. And it just gives you diarrhea. <laughs> Consulting fees, expensive but, quote, critically necessary, unquote, recipes, or supplements, or both, or membership discounts. And they kind of, they just bury you in all the stuff that you need to be able to contact this stuff. And essentially what we do is we buy into it because we're lured into the great sounding promises and free stuff and then get stuck paying exorbitant fees once we are committed. And yeah, with those discounts, I mean, that's that basic anchoring effect that Miranda did that episode on a while back where they say, you know, if you sign up as a member, then you can get this at this particular price point when normally it costs you this much. And that this much, that normally it costs this much, that's what they're anchoring you to so that it becomes really difficult to resist that really good deal. They're like, wow, I can get vitamin D pills for only $200 a bottle when it's normally 500 What a deal. I'm like... 
that's two hundred dollars. <laughs> You're still spending two hundred dollars. I mean, that's like a chunk of your rent, probably. Maybe if you've got the disposable income, but I mean, just don't do that. <laughs> that's my favorite thing about deals is people are like, "Oh, I I just got a TV for this much money," and you're like, "You just spent that much money and save nothing." Yeah, right. So in surveys. And this is going back to why people believe in this and buy into this. Many people who buy into the idea of brain food are people that have overcome some kind of health condition. There was the survey that was conducted looking at the people reporting why they chose to use things like supplements or, or to follow these specific diets. And a very common demographic that came up were people who are previously smokers but are no longer. The people who had survived cancer. People who have had family members who suffered from some of these diseases. And they seem to be people who are much more likely to be influenced by those sales pitches made by the sort of brain food pushers, if you will. <laughs> I like the idea of brain food pushers. Yeah. Can you imagine somebody standing on a corner and be like, hey, man, I got your avocado. <laughs> That's all I can think of just then when you did it. Like opens up their trench coat and they have like no pills. They just have like all like they have kale. Yeah. So to kind of get into this further a little bit and, and talking about brain food pushers, the actual supplement industry has soared to an incredible $35 billion per year in a very short period of time. And what they've actually done, and this is kind of going to get into kind of a little bit of the political territory too, is they've managed to lobby to remain unregulated by the government and fly under the radar while making extremely dubious claims about what is accomplishable by taking their products. So what they do is they have kind of skirted the law and made it so that they have this market that they can make these claims without actually making the claims. So that's part of it too. It's like they can say something that's influential, but not necessarily a formal claim. So when you really dig into the minutia, you're like, okay, there's no research with that. Yeah. They can kind of say and sell whatever they want, as long as it's not super dangerous. And even then sometimes it still is. Right. And so what ends up happening, too, is because they're medically unnecessary a lot of the time and the people who do need the supplements are unlikely to be able to afford them. Supplements have become kind of a symbol of wealth and status and thus reserved for the, quote, elites. Right. So, yeah, some people buy into this because they have the resources to do so and they see it as an investment of their health and a sign of their status as someone who deserves in a way to be taken care of in this special way. So there is a little bit of this elitism that goes on in the supplement industry and in these sort of these fad diet industries, brain food and what have you, where they are they do sort of cater to these. But again, like there are people who they just don't have financial resources and they because of that they tend to have very poor diets and they really do actually need some supplements because they're lacking those important nutrients but the supplements can be really expensive and it's just like if they're on food stamps they have very little to spend on the food that's available or, or maybe you know i don't know whatever the issue is that's going on they they can't afford whatever or they live in a country where they don't have something where there's subsidized food from the government or or whatever then they don't have any access to this stuff so it's not like it's really helping them anyway so yeah there's just a little bit of elitism and then finally we buy into this idea of brain food because okay Marketing has tapped into a few different things in the way that we sort of go about our lives. And specifically, there are these fundamental layers of values that most people share. And so one of those layers is very basic self-preservation. We want to survive as long as possible in the best possible condition. Most of us are not looking forward to like a miserable, sickly 
lifestyle, right? And the second layer that a lot of people share is general well-being, right? That is to be healthy, to feel good, and to thrive. Not just survive, but actually feel good and feel like you are participating effectively in your life. And so what happens is essentially the people who are pushing this, that they're marketing to you, is they sort of tell us, buy my recipe book because these foods are great for you, which means that you'll be healthier, happier, smarter, and more vibrant for longer in life. That's sort of the message that they're giving us, right? And who doesn't want that? Like this is tapping into all of those things. We want to be, we want to be special. We want to be strong. We want to be happy. We want to be vibrant. We want all those things. And we're susceptible to this, especially because whatever lie detecting filter that we have built up in our life experiences, it does not easily detect where the nonsense sneaks in in these messages. As, as we mentioned before, much of their advice is actually similar to good nutritional advice and good sort of health practice advice that we have been exposed to for years. It's just sort of repackaged and resold to you as something new. And the rest of it is the sort of Trojan horse of nonsense where it's under the radar of this guise of, yeah, eat good, balanced, healthy food. And here's my recipe book for the the thing that'll help your brain. A lot of it's not necessarily harmful a lot of the time. So it's like, it's kind of low stakes stuff. It's really just about the fact that they're just marketing to you their own version of this. And I guess one thing I always want to say is don't put all of your stock into this. You know, you need to be taking care of yourself and then just buying all their brain food supplements and stuff. Like if you have limited resources and that sort of thing, that's, I think the thing that, that sucks the most is that when people will, they'll move their allocation of resources and their time and their efforts to improving their own well-being and taking their health into their own control by people who are just selling them a gimmick. And those people are vulnerable to that sort of thing because they're looking for help. And that's the thing that makes it hard, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when we talk about it, it's kind of fun to talk about brain food and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, there are some pretty significant problems with like you mentioned, like allocating resources that you don't have for a promise that won't be kept for a thing that doesn't exist, you know, and it's just really easy to trick people into investing in something like supplements or brain foods and stuff like that. When the truth is that most often people get by with just a general, good, well-balanced nutritional diet with good sleep and avoidance of stress and all those good things that we talked about. And what they do is they kind of take it a step further and they go do all these things. Plus also eat this and you'll never have Alzheimer's, which is something they can't actually claim. Right. Yeah. Well said. So that's all that I have on the underlying information here. Do you have anything else to add? No, I think that covers it. I mean, just for clarity's sake and transparency's sake, we are not nutritionists by any means, but we also, we tend to look at a lot of research and we spend a lot of time in the research and there's nothing that really supports the extraordinary claims that a lot of these places make. Yeah. And I mean, I think that actually kind of segues really nicely into our conclusion here and our our take-home points, which is that taking high amounts of healthful foods is not going to hurt you, but it might not necessarily help you any more than taking the normal recommended amount of those foods. Like eating 20 pounds of carrots a week is not necessarily going to be bad for you. Maybe it would. I don't know if that's a lot, but you know, it's also not necessarily going to mean that you never have to wear glasses. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of dubious claims that are made inside of this. Right. I've spent my entire life eating carrots and I still have to wear glasses. So it's, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I feel like that's one of those things where it's like, it's probably good for your sight, but it's not going to 
cure you of blindness either. So that kind of goes into the idea of like, there's just not good scientific basis for some of the claims that are being made. And you know, some of the power of certain foods that turn you into a super genius, like smart food, popcorn or avocados, like this stuff is there and there's some nutritional benefit to that food, but it's not going to be the thing that like turns you into the next Bill Gates. (laughs) Great go-to for a genius. (laughs) So ultimately, eating a nutritionally balanced diet and reducing the amount of junk food and the highly processed stuff that you consume is all reasonable, well-supported advice. There's just no such thing as quote-unquote brain food, except when consuming brains as food, and that I guess you could just call brain food, but that also isn't going to make you smarter, and just in case that wasn't obvious or clear, eating brains is not necessarily the way to go here. Please avoid that if you can. Unless it's culturally significant, I guess do your thing, but we would prefer not to. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and conclude here from one of the articles that I pulled from that it's going to be in the show notes. Harriet Hall, as we mentioned before, she said, quote, there may be no difference between eating for your brain and eating for your entire organism, end quote. And I thought that was a really good place to end because it just sort of sums up the whole point we've been making. Yep, absolutely agree. I, I could not possibly add anything else after that. All right, great. Well, let's go ahead and transition to listener mail. All right. So the first one we have here is Eric from Norway. He messaged us on Instagram and this is a short, nice one. He just says, hi, everyone. Great job with the podcast. It's a shame I have not found it before. I really like the dynamics and flow. It seems very well planned and organized. And there's a laughing emoji and a thumbs up emoji. So thanks, Eric from Norway. Really appreciate the kind words there. Yeah, no, it's it's really great. And, uh, you know, we do try to put a lot of time and effort into the episode. So it's great that that's recognized. So thank you so much. So now you just have to go back and listen to all of the previous ones because they're awesome too (laughs) (laughs) there you go you've got a long list my friend all right we had another listener mail this one comes from tom and tom said i think you should do a podcast on misophonia it's a condition where a person perceives a stimulus usually auditory or visual and has a physical reflex and extreme emotions and he says i've been researching this condition for about seven years and we've identified that misophonia is a classically conditioned physical reflex problem but the most distressing part is the extreme emotions and physiological distress and so he actually offered to uh, provide some resources for that and tom i emailed you back, but I got a message that it was the incorrect email. So I'd actually be really interested in some of those resources. If you wouldn't mind sending them back over to us, just email us again and make sure that we have the correct email because I'd love to correspond with you further. And I couldn't figure out another way to get (laughs) in touch um, since I didn't have the correct email. So I figured (laughs) let's do it over listener mail. So yeah, reach out to us and we'll get in contact. Tom, talk to us. Speaking of which, if you would like to reach out to us and comment on anything we mentioned in this episode or any other, if you would like to suggest an episode for the future, or if you have any stories about how awesome we are or uh, topics that you know a lot about, then feel free. You can reach us on Instagram and SoundCloud and Facebook and Twitter and all of those places. We've got people who man those. I am looking at the email a lot and our SoundCloud account. So you can always reach me specifically there. And then uh, Shane, uh, which one do you monitor? Instagram? I'm on Instagram and Facebook. So uh, yeah, you can pop up on there and, and I'll likely see that and, and can share the information. So 
Perfect. Also, we have the relatively newish, I guess it's a few months old now, uh, system on our Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, one way you can do that without giving us any money is you can just uh, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. We super appreciate that. That helps more people find the show. If you'd like to join our Patreon, we do produce additional episodes. Uh, you can see videos of us recording, and we also produce uncut and edited versions of episodes. So you can hear the background nonsense and our blubbering and, and crying um, in between cuts. <laughs> there's so much crying there's so much crying <laughs> if you'd like to to uh hear this uh hear that i guess of course you can find us at pretty much all the platforms we're on pandora and iHeartRadio and speaker and spotify and pod search and all kinds of places anywhere you can get podcasts you can find us you can ask your smart speaker to play us i know for a fact that we're on the amazon smart speakers and sono smart speakers and i'm pretty sure we're on the google smart speakers so it should be everywhere and one other way that you can really help us if you just recommend us to a friend honestly one of the ways that podcasts spread the most still even with the marketing thing is through word of mouth so if you know someone you think would like this then uh send them our way yeah rate us on whatever you listen to us on and share with your friends and you know we love the feedback and and love seeing uh the community grow so we're really excited about that all right cool well that was enough of our marketing for ourselves (laughs) so i think we can wrap it up there this is abraham and it's shane we are out see ya You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.